The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. We'll go to our section on uh, in Genesis chapter 37. This is Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore strengthen your hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. Jesus can take what's lame in your life and in my life and instead of it being dislocated, it can be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. How many people can see God that are not holy? No one. Now, did we write that? No. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Look carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. What might we fall short of? God's grace. The grace of God. And lest any root of bitterness spring up to defile many. And by uh, to cause trouble and by this to defile many. So what can happen if a root of bitterness springs up? Cause trouble and defile many. Okay, kind of turn over now to James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone, but everyone is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Okay, let's put our, join our hearts in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we praise you today for thy word. And Lord Jesus, I pray you would create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And Father, today we would see Jesus only. You are the only one that has the words of eternal life. You alone are the way, the truth, the life. So, Holy Spirit, we pray today that you would come and open the word to us so that when we go home, we'll say, my, what Jesus said. Lord Jesus, as we meet today as sisters at your feet, right before we begin to look at the Holy Week and passion of Jesus Christ, We pray you would let this be a beginning in our souls to really realize what God has done for us, even us, on Calvary. Now, Jesus, would you move in? 
Would you place all weakness with your strength, all fragmentation with your peace, all disorder with your order? And Lord, would you promised you would anoint your word. So we pray that even as it's read, that Lord, it would be like a surging fire through our being and that we would never, ever be the same again. Let today be a victory day in the life of someone here today, in the lives of some here today, that the power of Jesus would be released. Freedom from sin, the guilt of sin, the love of sin, the power of sin. Burn out sin in our hearts and burn in holiness so that, Lord Jesus, everyone in this room will see you. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember going on a retreat a few years ago, and I was in Upper State, New York. It was a ladies' retreat, and I was just beginning to do ladies' retreats. And so I was, I hadn't done very many, so I was a little insecure. And I went up and flew up, and I, while I was there, a gal went with me, and so I looked at all those women, and they were from six states, Vermont, New Hampshire, all the New England states, and New York. So I, I delivered my different messages and then afterward prayed with another number of women. Well, one woman came up to me and said, I'd really like to pray with you. Well, with all innocence, I said, fine. She said, could we go out and pray in my van? Now, better part of valor, I should have thought, no, I should pray where everybody was, but I, I didn't do that. So I said, oh, yes. So we went out and prayed in her van. What, we got in the van, and she locked the door. And I said, oh, my goodness, Jesus. <laughs> and so we sat there in the van. It was night. It was after the session. And so I said, now, Lord, how did I get in this situation? And then she began to pour out her heart. And it was very similar heart to the situations that we find ourselves in Genesis 37. Her brothers, her, she was very hurt and very bitter, a root of bitterness that rises up to cause trouble and defile many. She had been sinned against, and her sister had been sinned against. They had been grievously sinned against by another member of their family. And she sat there and unfolded this rage and anger and bitterness and then proceeded to unfold a plot that she and her sister had conceived to murder the one that had caused the trouble. And I'm sitting there in a locked fan in the dark. And I sat there and I just said, Well, Jesus, I may see you before breakfast. And I said, Well, that would be fun, Jesus. So she proceeded and we got to the end of all this diatribe. And she said, The time came for it to take place. And she could not go and meet the rendezvous point with her sister. And she said, I didn't actually commit the act, but I have committed it over and over and over and over again in my soul. And she looked at me with tears running down her cheeks and she said, is there any hope for me? Is there any other way to deal with the rage and the injustice in my soul? Any other way to deal with it other than just anger and bitterness and rage that actually can lead to murder in the human heart and in the human act? And I said, oh, yes. 
I have good news for you. Because of Calvary, because of what Jesus did on the cross for you and me, even though we have been unjustly sinned against, and even though those things have happened that are wrong, God's Spirit can move into your heart and God can come on our souls and He can give us forgiveness. The power to begin to forgive those that have sinned against us. And in this lesson today, we have a contrast between a man who began to appropriate the power of God in his life and began to live for God and in very difficult circumstances did not develop a root of bitterness that rose up to defile many and cause incredible trouble. A man who in the heart of injustice, he flung himself into the heart of God and God made into him a man after his own heart and his name was Joseph. But once again, we talked about last week, choice. We talked about choice. The choice of what you and I will do with the injustices of life. Because one thing about our world, we live in a broken world. And it doesn't matter who is sitting here. Every single one in this room has suffered unjustly. And we'll look at it right here. I have good news that day. Because that precious gal prayed through and the Lord moved in. What is our verse for today? Let's read 12 and 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, we have the introduction now in 37 of Joseph. And praise Jesus, we're leaving Jacob behind, almost. I said to Al this week, I said, Al, why did the Lord choose Jacob? And he laughed and he said, well, of all the people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, who do you identify with most? And I said, that's a mean blow. (laughs) He said, who can say they identify with Joseph? That's what we're pressing on for. But he said, so he said, there is value in Jacob, even though he's a scoundrel. And he even is in this chapter again. So, um, so what we have is we're moving into Joseph. But as an introduction to the life of Joseph, the next chapters on Joseph's life, think of how much time God gives to individuals. How many chapters did he give to creation? Two. But how many chapters? 13 does he give to Abraham? About 13 and a half does he, he gives to Joseph. Almost that much he gives to um, Jacob. He, he is much more interested in his working in your life and in my life as individuals than he even is in the creation of the cosmos and the universe. Talk about incredible value that we have to the heart of God. And so let me, the theme for Joseph is a very precious one. The Lord was with him. <laughs> and the Lord's with you and me. Now, even though the Lord was with Joseph, do you know what it did not do? The Lord was with him, Scripture says, but it did not screen him from hatred and rejection. 
His brothers hated him, rejected him, betrayed him, and sold him as a slave. The Lord was with him, it says, but it didn't screen him from the worst temptation. When Potiphar's wife came after him, said the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him, but it did not screen him from slander. So that after he fled from the temptation, he is convict, he is slandered, even though he's done what's right. The Lord was with him, Scripture says over and over in Genesis, but it did not screen him from pain. He ended up falsely accused, serving time for a crime he didn't commit, in a prison, an Egyptian prison. Can you imagine what that was like? And Psalm 105 said they set his feet in iron fetters. Can you imagine just the physical pain? But yet it says the Lord was with him in prison. You want to say, oh Lord, please give me a break. (laughs) It says he did not screen him from disappointment. Have you ever been disappointed? So that even after he's sensitive enough to listen to the butler and the baker and is sensitive enough as the guard to realize that they have trauma in their own spirits, they leave, the, one, the butler leaves and never remembers him. Can you imagine the incredible disappointment in the heart of Joseph? But yet it says the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him because even though life threw all those things at this man, God was with him and it saved him from bitterness of spirit even when he was sinned against. God was with him and it enabled him to flee incredible temptation and keep from committing sin. God was with him and it enabled him to do what was right in every situation and to do it with all his might. When he was in a slave, he was the best slave that master ever had. When he was a prisoner, he was the best prisoner they'd ever seen. And then when he became exchequer of the land of Egypt, he was the best financial advisor they ever had. The Lord was with him. And the Lord was able to fulfill a glorious destiny in the life of a man totally surrendered to him. The Lord was with him, and he lived a happy and fulfilled life in spite of everything that happened to him. The Lord was with him, and he received a double portion of God's blessing that went on both of his children. And both of them became part of the 12 tribes of Israel. So I think that as we begin to study the life of Joseph, God has some incredible things to say to us so that when life hits us and then hits us and hits us again, you and I can begin to learn some of the secrets of this man's heart that instead of saying, well, if God was with me, why would this be happening? That we would throw ourselves into the arms of Jesus and just cling tighter. And let God do his redemptive work even in and through our pain. Okay, let's start 37. Joseph was 17 years old 
and he was feeding his brothers the flock with his brothers. And there are three things that happen in the beginning of this chapter. Three things that the, the Bible shares with us that enraged his brothers. Now this was not this was against a backdrop of incredible family dysfunction. Because remember the other brothers were all two were brothers four of them were of slave wives and then the rest were Leah's children and Leah had been the despised rejected wife of Jacob so that all their life they had felt the incredible pain of their mother and she kept having babies hoping that it would incline the heart of the father Jacob to her own heart which never did happen and so there's incredible family pain here incredible pain any pain in your family any pain in my family incredible family pain and so they have the four the the joseph is out keeping sheep with dan naphtali gad and asher the children of the two concubines um and so abilha and zilpah and so they do something wrong and he tells on them he tells his father now this is not the way to win friends and influence people. So that I, we don't know if it was something that was he should have told on or whether it was just he, there was a self-righteousness about him or just a youthful naivete like our all many times in our family it was always the little girls that were telling on their brother. I don't know how it is in yours but whether it was that kind of dynamic, but he did not endear himself to these four brothers. He was, there was a, a lack of wisdom there. Then, to add insult to infamy, Jacob comes and he gives, he calls him Israel, God does in this verse, but he gives him a cloak, a special distinguishing cloak that shows all the rest of the family and the rest of the world that this child is his favorite child. Now you would think he would have learned and from his own personal pain he would not have done that because he knew what it was like to have a father favor Esau over himself. He knew what it was to be the rejected child of one sibling. And so you would, have think, you would think he would have learned but he did not. And so he adds, he adds to the family stress by giving him a distinctive robe, nicer than anybody else's in the family, that marks him as the choice one of his father. And so all those old family feelings surge to the front, and they hate him. And in this chapter it says, they hate him, they hate him, they hate him. Three times. <coughs> They do not like him. Now, do you know what I wonder is a part here? Joseph, Jacob had been to Bethel. Praise the Lord. He had been to Peniel. So strong-willed that the Lord had to knock his leg out of his socket and he limped the rest of his life. Why would someone who had been to Bethel and met God, and then gone to Peniel, and God had, and wrestled with God, and God had wrestled with him. Why would it still be that he would do such a grievous sin against all his children? 
And you know what I think it is? I think it is some of the sins of the generations and the familial sins that blind us. We cannot see. And I don't feel from Jacob's life he entered into, ever entered into a deep, passionate love relationship with Jesus Christ. You feel that Joseph did because he could have never survived with that kind of sweetness that comes out of his life. It was much more than just a duty or a religious exercise. But there's something about Jacob that he knew God, but he didn't know him as the lover of his soul and the passion of his heart. So that he wasn't close enough to God, even yet, for God to come and whisper in his ear and say, that needs to stop. Remember the pain it caused you? Do you want to add to the pain of all your children? Don't add to their pain. Break the pain and the cycle of pain. And that's one of the reasons God is talking to you and I today. And as we live here today, 1997, God wants to give us undivided hearts so that we live so close to his heart that the generational sins can be broken in your life and in my life. And they don't have to go on to the next generation and the next. How did your mother and daddy react to you? What were some of the things that needed to be broken? Every single generation, even if we've walked with God, there are things and patterns and coping mechanisms that need to be cleansed, healed, and put under the blood. And if he had been walking with God, I think God could have whispered to him and said, don't do it. Don't do it. But he wasn't that close. Don't do it. And God wants to whisper to our hearts some of those places. And the good news is God can if we will listen. God isn't wanting an undivided heart because he's mean and cruel. God is wanting an undivided heart because he wants to make us holy so we can communicate with him and know him. But he wants to make us whole, W-H-O-L-E. And we were made for holiness. We were made to be clean and pure and to get rid of the garbage in our hearts. And that's why God wants to come in, so that those generational sins can be set free. So he hated him. They hated him. And they couldn't even talk peaceably to him. Their pain was so great. And then, Joseph has two dreams. And he he reminds you of a 17-year-old kid, doesn't he? Just flipping off at the mouth. There's no maturity there. There's no discernment or discretion. Do you have any like that at your house? (laughs) Are you and I sometimes like that? And so what is it happens? This happens in his dream. I think there's a naivete about him. And so... He's, he's moved by the dream, kind of astounded by the dream. So what does he do? He thinks his family is a safe place to share. So he gets up and shares with them. And what happens as he shares? He shares that his sheaves come. And they're all, all the brothers have sheaves in the field. They all bow down and his sheaves still standing. And then he says, and they hated him even more. <laughs> And then he has another dream, and he dreamed the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed down to him. And even that concerned his father, and he rebuked him. 
And he goes, what is that? Do you think your mother and I and your brothers are going to bow down to the earth before you? And the brothers envied him. So it's not only hatred, it is envy. Any of that in you or in me? Two powerful, powerful, powerful emotions. And they envied him. And his father thought on what had happened. Now, do you know what scripture says? Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you and I hate anyone, it's really murder. Because the natural outcropping of hatred is just what happened here. It's murder. We cannot live with it. And that's why God says put to death these things in our life so that out and the only way to get them to be put to death is to come under the freedom of God's Holy Spirit where he takes out the heart of stone and puts in a new heart and replaces that envy, that bitterness, that rage, that hatred with himself. So then... Verse 12, the brothers go to feed the flocks in Shechem. Have we heard of this before? Why? I don't know. But they go back to Shechem. And as they go back to Shechem, Jacob's a little worried about them. I guess so. So he sends Joseph. And Joseph goes to look for him. It's about 50 miles away from Hebron. They're not there. So Joseph is a conscientious kid. So he just finds out where they are. And instead of coming back home, he just goes to Dothan 12 miles more to find his brothers. The minute they see him, they said, oh, here comes that dreamer. How do we get rid of him? And Reuben says, they said, let's kill him. And Reuben says, wait a minute, let's not kill him. Let's shed no blood. Let's throw him into this pit. And Reuben, the firstborn, was thinking that he could come and deliver him. But then he, but while they are sitting down, they take him, take off his cloak, the hated cloak, throw him in the pit. While he's in the pit, crying out, the other part of scripture says they heard his cries. Or at the end of this book, it talks about they heard his cries. They sat down and ate lunch. Hearts absolutely hardened. They ate lunch. Every single commentary I read commented on that. Here he is just crying. And they sit down and eat lunch. And then some Ishmaelite traitors come through. And Judah goes, let's not kill him and have his his blood on our hands. After all, he is our stepbrother. Why don't we just sell him as a slave? And then we'll see what happens with his dreams. And so that's what they do. And so Joseph finds himself sold to an Egyptian of the house of Potiphar, captain of the guard. And then the next chapter is another one that is just like a soap opera (laughs) that's why when you have read scripture straight through in your family devotions you never have to worry about dealing with 
the facts of life. <laughs> it is a great education in every respect. I remember all I was growing up, all our talks on the birds and the bees all came out of our family devotions, isn't that? Because we'd say, what does that mean, Daddy? And we'd sit around the table and lay down the whole... So it was a great place to learn about all of life. But scripture's so realistic. Now Judah, remember, because of the sins of the children of, of Israel, Reuben has lost the right of the firstborn child. How? Because of incest with Bilhah, his father's concubine. The two other boys, Simeon and Levi, were so violent in Shechem, they lost the rights of the firstborn. So now we're down to the fourth child, trying to find one that's worthy. This is he. This is Judah. And I think scripture comes in, and at the end of Genesis, God begins to move on Judah's heart, and we see more hope. But this is the man, and these are the men that God is trying to make into his own people. They sound a little bit like Americans, don't they? Does it not give us a little hope that sometimes we look at situations and dysfunctional homes and dysfunctional marriages and the promiscuity and think, Lord, how can this one walk with you? There's no hope. How can this one go through to victory? How can you ever use this one? And yet Judah is the one that becomes the head of all the tribes. He takes the right of the firstborn, and it is from the tribe of Judah that we get the Lord Jesus himself. The incredible grace of God. The incredible hope of God for every single one of our lives. There is no pit so deep that Jesus is not deeper still. And so we find that Judah is the one, the rest of this book should be about him, but there's not enough to write. Because he's the one through whom the family line goes, it's not through Joseph. But Judah departed, and we have in 38 what happened in 34. What happened in 34? Dinah went down and visited the folks in Shechem. And she began to make worldly alliances with the people around her. And the same thing happens to Judah. Do you know what? There is a sense that we are in the world, but there is also a sense that if you and I are going to walk with God, we cannot, there's a separateness there's a uniqueness. There is a holiness about your life and about my life. And Judah left the people of God, his family, and goes down and begins to fraternize and socialize with the Canaanites. What kind of people are the Canaanites? They're the ones that burn their children to Moloch. They're the ones that have sexual orgies while they're burning them. They're the ones that have cult prostitutes. They're a very hedonistic, wicked people. And he begins to cultivate them. Are there any unholy alliances in your life? 
Now, it doesn't mean we're not supposed to relate to non-Christians, but it means that when we relate to non-Christians, we are sharing Jesus so much with them that our influence is influencing them and not their influence influencing us. And you and I cannot just have predominantly non-Christian relationships because we will not be able to stand. We'll be sucked in to a vortex of compromise and we will never know that we've been had. Do you know what we need? We need to know that there's a difference between those that sometimes call themselves Christians and those that walk the walk and those that just talk the talk. And if you're going to be serious about Jesus Christ, you and I need to be walking with those who walk the walk and don't just talk the talk. So he goes down to Canaan and that's where he finds his wife. And while he's and she, her name is Shua. And she, we know nothing about her except she has three sons. Now, I don't know if any of you aren't married, but those that aren't married, wait for God's one. You do not want a Shua or a Judah in this case. Wait for God's person. Wait. And it was, and two of these brothers were killed. They were outright killed by God himself. And in this chapter, you have the practice of leveret marriage where one is killed. The firstborn was killed heir because he was so wicked, God just struck him dead. And rarely does God do that. And then the second one, he was supposed to raise up offspring for the dead brother, and he refused to do it. And so God just struck the second one dead. And so then you have Tamar. Tamar, the, sis, the, the wife of the first one, um, the, Judah's afraid to give Tamar to the third brother. He's afraid he'll die. And instead of looking at the evil in his own sons, I think he must have felt that it's my, Tamar's a jinx, and if I have any, she's the one that's killing off my children. And so he says, wait, go back to your house, Tamar, and then later we'll get you when it's time. And you can marry my third son and raise up offspring for my other two that have died. But did he keep his part of the bargain? No. Well, then you have intrigue and incest. Once again. Where they don't, Tamar knows nothing about trusting in God. So she begins to move them, get, to try to get her own rights, try to get a child. So she just moves in and manipulates and pretends she's a prostitute. And so he meets, his wife has died in the meantime. He meets her by the side of the road. They, she says, I need a pledge from you. And he gives his cord and his signet and his, um, Staff, and and then they go in and have an illicit relationship, and Tamar gets pregnant. Judah sends back to get his cord, his signet, and his staff that identify him, be like his social security number and his driver's license, and that prostitute's not there anymore. 
instead of so the man comes back he'd send a lamb with and he says oh, I don't want to be a laughing stock just let her keep him and hope it goes away if you ever sinned say I hope it goes away maybe if we just cover it over maybe we just pretend it didn't happen it was just a weak moment but does sin ever go away no sin that's done isn't done ever with the doing That's why God says it's so grievous and only the blood of Jesus can cleanse from sin. And it didn't go away. Three months they get a note. Judah gets a note that Tamar is with child, three months pregnant. And then Judah has the gall to say, well, bring her out and let's burn her. Talk about self-righteousness and a double standard. Talk about the honesty of Scripture, but talk about a heart that is lost. His heart's lost. And so the one that's going to burn Tamar, as she's being led out, and they weren't even supposed to burn, just in real rare cases they were supposed to, just they were to be stoned he makes it harder than the Judaic law as they're bringing her out she says by these this child is by the one who left this pledge with me and there's a signet ring a cord and a staff and to Judah's credit he said they're not their mine but she is more righteous than I and he lets her live. And do you know what? Out of that unholy relationship, twins are born, and the younger one comes out first. The first one comes out, and they tie a little cord around his scarlet cord around his finger, and then his brother comes out first. So the first one is Perez, it means breach. And then Zerah comes out afterward. And do you know what? In Matthew 1, we have in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Abraham begat Isaac Isaac begat Jacob Jacob begat Judah and his brothers Judah begat Perez and Zerah by Tamar Perez begat Hezron Hezron begat Ram and then we go all the way down until we get Jacob begat Joseph the husband of Mary of whom Jesus the Christ was born. And I tried to think, I thought, Lord, what are you saying to us? And do you know what? This is not God's will. How Judah lived. This isn't the way God planned for babies to come into the world. That's not the kind of way he wanted little twins to be born. 
That's what sin does. That's what self-will does. That's what a heart does that will not say yes to the will of God. But even in spite of that, if you and I will begin to seek God and choose him, God can take any kind of relationship, family situation, problem that you and I have ever had or ever even conceived of, and God can take it and make it redemptive and cleanse and purify and make holy things come out of even the likes of you and me. So that Tamar, the Canaanite, the one that had the illicit affair trying to get her own rights, didn't know any other way to do it because the people of God were so backslidden they became like Canaanites instead of influencing the world for God. That Tamar is one of the ones listed in the, in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. And her son was the son of Judah that God chose to take the family line through. Do you know what? There's hope. There is hope for us. There's hope for American society today. There's hope for the people you and I live with and work with. God is the God of hope. And God is the God of incredible grace. Can we all resonate with that? How many times have we been sabotaged by the evil one? Just sabotaged. I want us to take a few minutes... And just say, Jesus, are there any places in my life that the enemy is sabotaging me? Is my heart undivided? Am I walking the walk? Is there a separateness in my life? Am I willing to be lonely for you? Am I willing to be poor for you? Am I willing to be in Wilmore for you? Am I willing to do whatever is your will? And let God begin to say to us what he wants to say because the enemy comes with that Turkish delight and in the beginning it looks so good. But it kills, it damns, it destroys, it leads us into darkness, blackness, and it leads those we love the same way. Is there anyone we need to forgive anyone today is there any malice rage anger any sexual immorality this is a graphic description one half of those verses of the divided heart and then the other half of what it means to have a heart totally his what are the characteristics of your life and my life I didn't write the list. <laughs> Those are God's characteristics. And what did Hebrews say? Without holiness, no one will see God. What did James say? If any of us sin, it is because it had been enticed and we have chosen it. Do not be deceived. 
dear loved ones. Dear Lord Jesus, we just pray today you would do a searchlight on our heart. The sabotaging techniques of the enemy where he comes in to topple us. And Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to come in and fill us. We cannot have an undivided heart. Lord, unless we've come to the place where we totally surrender our will to your will and that, Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit lives in us, the Spirit of Jesus, so that, Lord, you can get rid of the sexual immorality, the impurity, the lust, the evil desires, the filthy language, the lies. You can get rid of the anger and the rage and the malice. The Lord, only you can do that and put in its place kindness and mercy and gentleness and love and Lord Jesus and forgiveness and the capacity to bear with one another. Now, Holy Spirit, would you take those hearts, our hearts of stone, our divided hearts, and would you replace them with your heart, a heart of love, a heart of broken humility, a heart of surrender. And Jesus, for those today who battle with the problem of unjust suffering and forgiveness, Jesus, would you take the hate and the murder out of our hearts and in its place, would you give us the capacity to ask you to give us the ability to be made willing to be willing to forgive and that, God, you might begin to use your, your, let your spirit set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.